Rome once fell, and all great civilizations do. Is America falling? Could we be doing more? Some say it's because we have stopped focusing on learning and understanding what it means to be a good citizen. That's what this podcast is all about. If civics is dead, what happens next? Welcome to Civics is Dead. I'm Cindy Schwartz. Today's episode builds off of our first two episodes by moving beyond identifying the problem, which is that American classrooms are spending less and less time teaching social studies, history, and civics, to now exploring the why. Why have public schools throughout the United States of America decreased the number of hours spent teaching social studies, American history, and civics? It's all about the why. So let's get to it. Here's one reason why. The launching of the world's first artificial satellite, Sputnik, by the Soviet Union in 1957 touched off the beginning of what we know as the space race. The United States saw the launching of Sputnik as a psychological Pearl Harbor. Because the United States had not launched an artificial satellite first, it appeared to Americans as if the Soviets, post-World War II, were winning the Cold War. And this competition of tension over ideological supremacy would tilt in their favor, leaving the Americans behind. The result? Americans saw the United States as math and science inadequate. To fix that problem, the 1958 National Defense Act pumped $1 billion over four years into math and science programs in both K to 12 schools and universities. Social studies and civics was not affected yet, but by 1993, 1994 school year, social studies education was peaking at about three hours per week. But more recently, for example, in Washington, D.C., where some elementary schools operate on block scheduling, social studies and science share a 45-minute block time where one half of the time is spent on science and one half of the time is spent on social studies per day. English and literacy receives 120 minutes of a block and math, 90 minutes. It's interesting that a 2017 Chicago Tribune article cited Illinois and their daily statewide average of hours spent on core curriculum subjects like English, math, science, and social studies. In grade three, for example, English receives 132 minutes of classroom instruction, 72 minutes per day for math, but 35 minutes per day for science and only 30 minutes per day for social studies. I mean, let's see how fast we can teach the role of the banks and other financial institutions in an economy which is currently one of the financial literacy standards in that state. It's called SSECFL 3.3 in the Illinois Guide of Social Studies Standards Teachers Must Meet for Third Graders in only 30 minutes. In previous years, math was taught for 60 minutes per day in Illinois whereas today it is up to almost 80 minutes per day of math time for third graders, and that is followed by an additional 20 minutes of special math support. So it becomes clear to us that math and English language arts are stressed over social studies and science. The Illinois state math exam scores have gone up, though, two years in a row, and Principal Kevin Simmons of Prairie Trail School in Illinois 
Gurney School District, number 56, said, and I quote, the driving force to increase math time was low test scores on state exams. You're listening to a podcast from LIU Studios. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to this show on your podcast app of choice. For more of our programs or to support LIU Studios, visit wcwp.org. Another reason why the teaching of social studies, American history, government, and civics has decreased since the end of World War II is because of the passage of the No Child Left Behind Act, sometimes called NCLB, which was passed in 2001 under the leadership and support of former President George W. Bush, a $48 billion program which inserted the federal government far more into the public school system of our country. The goal was to close the gap between the affluent and low-income students. And as we said, federal education funding would be highly linked with public school education in the states. So let's see what NCLB did. Number one, it expanded the role of the federal government in public education. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution does not mention public education as one of Congress's federal powers. Hence, our Tenth Amendment reserves those powers like public education to the local and state governments. However, Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution does grant Congress the power to lay and collect taxes to provide for, and I quote, the general welfare of the United States. And this has really enabled the federal government to partner at times with states on educational policy and has given the federal government the power to help financially at times with the funding and support of public ed because it's for the general welfare of the people of this country. The NCLB Act, the No Child Left Behind Act, one of many addendums to the 1965 Elementary and Secondary Education Act of 1965, introduced testing standards for the first time to promote what we call standards-based education. And I must tell you that this was passed with bipartisan support in Congress. And here was the exact goal that we know President George W. Bush will state for us in numerous speeches that he will give to the country to explain this program. The goal was to set high standards and memorable, measurable goals so that all children, regardless of socioeconomic background, will excel. I also strongly believe that uh, we, we want to make sure the No Child Left Behind Act continues to work. It's a, you, you measure every day. That's why you're successful business people. I mean, you know what your business is doing. I believe we ought to extend that same principle to our public schools and ask a simple question. Can a child read at grade level? And in order to determine that, that's, that's why you measure. And if the answer is yes, we all say great. If the answer is no, the answer question will be, then what are you going to do about it? And so the principle behind the No Child Left Behind Act is to set high standards, believe every child can learn, and measure to see if we're getting results. And Congress need not weaken such a good piece of legislation. President George Bush likens schools to businesses, as we just heard. Businesses can measure their success and hold employees accountable. And so should schools. 
according to former President George W. Bush. So the next step in the No Child Left Behind Act would be that states had to develop assessments in basic skills like English and language arts and math, and an assessment would be or could be an exam. Assessments can be other things, but most likely most people think of exams or tests to see if the basic skills have been met. Then, to receive federal school funding, according to the No Child Left Behind Act, states had to give these assessments to all students at select grade levels. No Child Left Behind did not state a national achievement standard. Each state was given the opportunity to develop its own standards. But let's remember, according to this act, all public schools receiving federal funding had to administer some sort of standardized assessment, which became exams in most schools annually to all students. The school then must make what is called adequate yearly progress each year to receive federal funding. That's called the AYP. Now, let's say that the adequate yearly progress for a school is repeatedly poor, then steps have to be taken to improve the school. If the school receives a two-year review that is poor, then they are claimed to be, quote, in need of improvement. That means that the scores on their exams did not improve within two years. They have to then develop a two-year improvement plan for the subject that the school is not teaching well. Maybe it was the English language arts that did poorly two years in a row, or maybe the exam in math did poorly two years in a row. Students have an option, according to the No Child Left Behind Act, to transfer to a better school within the district if one exists, if their school has not done well for those two years. Here's another part to the law. After three years, schools must offer free tutoring and supplemental educational services to students who are struggling. So if the scores on these assessment exams do not improve over three years, the school offers free tutoring and supplemental educational services to those students who are struggling. If after four years, the school has not improved their grades, there must be what is called in the law, and I quote, corrective action. There could be, as a result of this, a wholesale replacement of the staff in the school. There could be an introduction of a brand new curriculum. They could extend the amount of time that students spend in class. All of these might be what are called corrective actions. Let's say that after five or six years, the school has not improved their scores. That school might have to be closed, according to the No Child Left Behind Act. It might be turned into a charter school. It might be turned over to a private company. It could have the state run the school directly. Let's take a listen for a moment now to George Bush as he speaks about this law. Our nation made an historic commitment nearly six years ago when Republicans and Democrats came together to pass the No Child Left Behind Act. The philosophy of the law is this, the federal government will invest in education and in return, we seek results. Instead of just hoping for the best, we've asked states to set clear standards and hold schools accountable for teaching every child to read and do math at grade level. As we move forward, we'll continue to welcome new ideas. And I appreciate the ideas I heard today. 
Yet there can be no compromise on the basic principle. Every child must learn to read and do math at or above grade level. And there can be no compromise on the need to hold schools accountable to making sure we achieve that goal. I'll call on members of Congress to come together to pass bipartisan legislation that will help us achieve this goal. By working together, we can raise standards even higher, expand opportunity for all Americans of all backgrounds, and build a future where no child is left behind. One of the results of former President George W. Bush's program on the No Child Left Behind Act is schools had to have accountability. If they were going to receive federal funding, they had to prove that their students were improving. Clearly, there was an increase in standardized testing. And since 2007, almost 71% of schools have reduced instruction time in history, arts, and foreign languages, and music, so more time could be spent on math and English. Because as we have shown, math and English was what these assessment tests would be on. There was a very interesting article that came out in July 2018 by Sarah Gonzer. And uh, this was in the online magazine called Chalkbeat. And let me read to you what she says. And I quote, One of the longtime goals of public education is to produce young people capable of participating in the democratic process. Experts say that requires regular and high-quality social studies lessons starting in kindergarten to teach kids to be critical thinkers and communicators who know how to take meaningful action. Yet, and I continue quoting, as teachers scramble to meet math and reading standards, social studies lessons have been pushed far back on the list of academic priorities, especially in the early grades. Well, this leads me to a discussion about what is happening in New York City. And this last update came from 2015, which is actually the time that the No Child Left Behind Act was put aside in favor of other legislation that we will talk about in future episodes. But let's see what happened in New York City in terms of the number of minutes per week that are spent on certain subjects. In New York City, as of 2015, for elementary school children, kindergarten through second grade, the English and language arts was given to students 300 minutes per week. Math was given 300 minutes per week. Science, 135 minutes. And social studies, 135 minutes. There's quite a difference and discrepancy in how much time is spent on English and language arts and math as opposed to science and the history of our country. For grades three through five, 375 minutes per week spent on English and language arts. Math, 375 minutes per week, so that's up from the earlier grades. Social studies, it increases, but it's only at 180 minutes. Science, only 180 minutes, whereas math and English received 375 minutes. And so what we see is this decrease of time that has been spent on social studies and science, interestingly enough, and much more time spent on English and math. If you go to Texas and we go to a school called Louisville School District in Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas and Fort Worth, 
you will see that in elementary school day for children in grades one through third grade, they will spend 39, almost 40% of their day on English and social studies together. Social studies does not have a separate time. And although it is wonderful to integrate the two, how much real history of our country and civics education are children getting at the foundational level of first through third grade? Math for those children will receive 20% of their day in terms of time. And as you move up to grades four and five, in the Louisville School District in Texas, you will see that English and the language arts receives almost 30% of a child's day, whereas social studies receives only 11% of a child's day. Math gets 20%. Science just gets 1% more than social studies. So therefore, we have evidence showing that social studies is not being taught as often and as much as math and the language arts are. Let's return now to what some of the experts are saying is a direct result of not teaching the history of our country, civics, and social studies more often. We go back to that Chalkbeat article of 2018. And in that article, a woman by the name of Stephanie Serriere, and she's a former early grade teacher who is now Associate Professor of Social Studies Education at Indiana University and Purdue University in Columbus. So what she says, and I quote, is without social studies, we lose the civic mission of public schools. And then she goes on to say, ultimately, we can't prepare children for living in a rich, diverse democracy if we don't expose them to the controversial topics inherent in our democracy. And that, of course, is what you tackle when you teach social studies and history, controversial topics. And then I continue to quote and star what she said right here. Time spent teaching social studies has declined in the last two decades, part since the passage of the No Child Left Behind Act. And when she says part, she means partly because of which favored a focus on math and reading. Apparently, research shows teachers feel the least competent in teaching social studies, she talks about. And that perhaps is one of our other reasons why social studies is not focused on as much as math and the language arts. We will do in future episodes a discussion of how teachers prepare to teach social studies and why aren't teachers in the earlier grades prepared to teach American history as well as they should be. A man by the name of Paul Fitchett, Associate Professor and Director of Curriculum and Instruction for the Doctoral Program in Education at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, has said that he too is very concerned about the fact that teachers are not as prepared to teach social studies as they should be. The National Council for Social Studies says because social studies isn't a priority in many states, teachers often receive inadequate training from the teacher prep programs on how to teach the subject. Next time, we continue uncovering why American classrooms aren't devoting more time to teaching social studies, history, and civics by highlighting President Barack Obama's Race to the Top program. Better get your running shoes out because we need to see how fast we can teach the causes of World War II. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Civics is Dead on Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice, or visit wcwp.org slash civics is dead. I wish you a beautiful day and great peace in your life.